24 delegates are up for grabs, but even more than that. After the chaos in Iowa, it's a chance to try and clarify who's in front, who's falling behind, and who has the momentum now in the Democratic primary as we roll on through these early states. The candidates have been out in force this morning, not surprisingly, shaking hands, raising the roof even, and also handing out donuts. Because apparently you have to do everything, and you will do almost anything to win votes. So this was it, election day in New Hampshire. Critics of the first in the nation primary usually point to one main factor, race. The numbers do not lie. New Hampshire is a very Caucasian state, 93% white. That is whiter than Wyoming white. And not to be essentialist, but that not only affects how voters respond to candidates, but also how candidates respond back to voters, the kind of questions they get asked in those famous retail politicking moments, and the kind of promises that they have to make back. But as is the case even in Wyoming, New Hampshire is becoming less white by the month and the Hispanic populations leading that change. This episode, we're going to talk with one of the leaders of that community, a woman who seems sort of hilariously conflicted about her fate living in the Granite State. She is Venezuela-born Eva Castillo, and she's got a lot to say about presidential politics and why she thinks that immigrants in Manchester should really be going down to Elm Street and drinking beer with white people. This is Nathan Thornburg, and from Roads and Kingdoms, you're listening to The Trip. Drinking with exceptional people around the world. Let's just start with this. One of the major national complaints about New Hampshire's role in the primary is that it's just way too white (laughs) to be a representation of this country that uh, is far more diverse than that. Do you agree? No, it is white if you count percentage. But, like, the Manchester School District has over 80 languages spoken. 80 languages? Yes. This comes from, is this a a high refugee resettlement area? We we are a refugee resettlement area, and uh, also, you know, people just move here. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) As someone who's getting used to the cold here, uh, I don't know why you would come to Manchester. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, you're close to the mountains. You got some jobs. You got some. Uh... Well, I had a. I used to come to New Hampshire for vacations when, since I was like six, seven years old. Really? Yeah, because my mom went to college in Canada, and her roommate was from Manchester. So, oh. So we used to come and visit. So you would them. fly up from Venezuela. Yeah, have and, a... and spend summers here. Okay. And, and yeah, so I never would have thought I was going to end up living in Manchester, New Hampshire, or. All places that you can live in the U.S. Uh, but here it is. It's happened. When did you yeah. come here? Uh, to live. I came in 82. I came to the States in 75 to Michigan to go to college. And then I flew to Manchester to visit my, my mom's friend. And his son, her son's best friend was my now husband. So you just came here and then love just grabbed you. It's wrapped its tentacles around you, and I don't know if it was love or what, you know, but <laughs> fate, destiny. But I, that's what it is, fate, uh, and that's it. So New Hampshire is a an extraordinarily white state when you look uh, across the the breadth of it. Hispanics are somewhere less than four percent. Is that right? Yeah, we're like yeah, like fifty thousand. There's eighty thousand foreign born in the whole state. 
including Hispanic. Everybody. Every wow. Foreign born. Foreign born. But uh, that's according to the census. I don't know. I really don't know. The well, census that's that's much. if you're not counting North Country as a foreign country. But North Country, <laughs> that's right. North Country and foreign borns includes the Canadians. That wow. Stay on this side. Yeah. They're, they are not counted as. So it's a small population, but they need small. leaders. They need they, they need, need leaders people to stand up for them, and you were one of those people. Yeah. Um, how did that come to be? How did you come from Venezuela to New Hampshire and, and then carve a life for yourself of kind of standing up for and, and uh, protecting the rights of, of this small group? Well, when I was in college, when I moved here, you know, I always grew up thinking I was going to come to the States and admiring everything and watching the civil rights marches on TV and say, oh, my God, this is so cool. I want to be there. And my dad had worked in the oil companies with Americans. Mm -hmm. So he was always so fond of Americans and everything that this country has to offer. So when I moved to, to Michigan to go to college, I, you know, I realized that all of a sudden I was put in the same boat with people that if I lived in my country my whole life, I would have no contact whatsoever mm. with. Right, because you came from an upper class family. Right. In Venezuela. Right. And, and so here it's like we're all, you know, and people from different countries that were just united by one language. But other than that, we really don't have much in common. It'd be like making you behave like the people from Australia just because you speak English. Yeah. You know? But here... I would never behave like those right. animals. But here they bulk you, you know, and they make us behave as one. So I said, okay, I'm, you know, I went straight from... Just by crossing a border from being a member of the privileged minority to be, being a member of the unprivileged minority. Just in two seconds. Yeah. You know? So within two weeks, I said, hmm, you know, these things, but, you know, so be it. I'm not going to change it. I'm always very practical. So I said, I'm going to work to make sure that we rise. So I started volunteering at a Latino center in in. Kalamazoo, Michigan, where I was in college. And then when I moved to New Hampshire, I went straight to the Latino Center. And, uh, you know, and, and I was supposed to go back home after college and, and take care of my dad business, but I found my passion here. So, And your sense was that even as a kind of, you know, upper class Venezuelan here, you know, temporarily or something that, that, if the rights of all Hispanics weren't kind of protected and the, the kind of dignity right. of that group wasn't protected in mass, then it wouldn't apply for anyone. And there's that, no such right. thing as being immune from that. That's as, right. I'm one of them. And that's what I tell my peers here that came from similar backgrounds. I said, you know what? Look at yourself in the mirror, first of all. Secondly, when you move here, your average American could not care less who your daddy was at home. You're in the same boat with the people that just crossed the border. So... Why not assume who you are with pride and be who you are, you know, instead of trying to pretend that you are American or Americanizing your name and your everything. That's why I use my Castillo all the time. I don't use my husband's name because I, I am who I am. And like I told my husband, I can have many husbands. I have one father. So I'm going to honor my father for the rest of my life. I should you know? try that line with my wife, see where that gets me. <laughs> I can have many wives, but only one mom. No, but see, that's a different story because she does. She, you don't take her name. That is true. I have not taken my, her name, uh, nor has she taken mine. But So maybe I'll give her your line to use uh, back mm -hmm. on me at, at, uh, <laughs> at good that's moments. Right. But you know, I'm proud of who I am. And, in, and it is 
by being a Latino and, and showing people that I'm educated, that I can speak the language, that I, uh, that I maintain somewhat my culture, uh, you know, that I blend in, I think I'm educating people too, indirectly, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm tearing down the stereotypes too, and that we all come in all colors and shapes and sizes and in, you know, because that, that was one of the first things that, that struck me from New Hampshire was the lack of diversity. And then every time I opened my mouth in the 80s, people would say, oh, I hear an accent. Where are you from? And I would say, Venezuela. Where is Venezuela? They did not even know the part of the map that Venezuela was on. Yeah. And I said, South America. Oh, but you're white. And, he was, <laughs> and I used to tell my husband, and we are the third world country. You know, it was so funny. You Would know? they be touching your blonde hair and just it being was so like, weird. It you're was a so, Venezuelan? Yeah, but you're white. When, when, one of the first times we flew to New Hampshire, my, the, the kids in, the house, in my mom's friend's house, they went to the bed and they went like this on the mattress. They pushed on the mattress and bed, you sleep here. <laughs> you know, it was so funny. Wow. But we've come a long way, you know. Now you hear Spanish all over the place. I go to, you know, to the Walmart or the market or whatever. In, in the street, you hear people speaking Spanish. You you see the the African women wearing their traditional dresses. You feel, you see the, the Muslim women, you know, wearing their scarves or their dresses too. So, you know, it's fun. We come along, we come along. So New Hampshire is a microcosm of the rest of the world, really, you know. It is just a small, small taste of what America is like. Ava and I had talked before the interview about the idea of the very white whiteness of New Hampshireites. That is, this sort of extreme individualism that is baked into, among other things, the state motto, live free or die. This is not just a historical thing. New Hampshire has been a beacon for new generations of freedom fundamentalists. I wrote about them for Time magazine years ago, this small group of libertarians called the Free State Project. It was nationwide, but it urged all of its members to move to one small state somewhere so they could actually have some political power in this country. And they chose here. Fifteen years on, I can say they don't seem to have accomplished too much except filling some school boards with shouty homeschoolers and the like, but they certainly did increase the overall flinty individualism of New Hampshire. I asked Ava what she tells Latino newcomers about fitting into this unusual place. How do you explain uh, to, to people who are newcomers like what, what it is to be in New Hampshire? I just tell them to be who they are, and I encourage them to learn the language. And I realize that, you know, for some people it's hard. The older you come here, the harder it is. But I say, at least learn enough so that you can get by. Because it is up to, you know, it's better for you. You you can get a better job. You can get better, you know, even though we have interpreters for everything and their neighbor. And, and I have been an interpreter forever, too. I don't do it anymore professionally or as a volunteer, I do. But I don't think it's good to to cuddle people in a way, you know, even though they need the services. But to me, and I started giving, you know, by giving services, I'm working in a social service agency. And this is not going to sound bad, but this is what I think. I think social services depend on creating dependency. Because the more people that go seeking for services, 
you know, the more money they get or the more numbers they put and they can justify their existence. And uh, then it is a double-edged sword. People need the services, yes, but up to a degree. But our job should be to make people integrate or or just adapt to society and, and, and teach them to, to be on their own as independent as they can. I'm not doing anybody a favor by doing everything for them. So if you can combine that, like, the hardworking characteristics of the people who come here with that individualism of, like, you know, strike it out on your own, then somehow they can, they can marry and create people who are ready to just come in, start learning the language, like, get on their own feet... Yeah, uh, you know, but but it's also hard because I see the peop- the hardworking people. They have to you know, work two and three jobs to make ends meet. If they're lucky, that they get paid too, because there's a lot of wage theft here. And so you know, many of them don't have the the time really to to learn. So it, it is hard to to navigate that, you know. But I'm always encouraging them to do. And, and it, it's not an easy decision to move to a different culture in, in, in a place that is not the friendliest of all places towards immigrants, especially now, this time. And, uh, you know, so immigrants are pretty tough and they're, they're self-reliant, and they're, but the society has put a lot of barriers, social barriers, cultural barriers too, in addition to, to the legal barriers to, to be here legally or to get your, your paperwork in order. So, you know, I, I usually say they have treated us as an invisible uh, group for so long that people, some people have assumed that invisibility. Mm. So I'm always encouraging them, no, go out and speak. You have nothing to, to fear. You know, you have your papers, you're, you are a U.S. citizen. Stand up and speak for yourself. Right. Because they're often being defined by other people here, yeah. for sure. Or even me, I'm not the queen of Latinos. I don't represent all the Latinos here. And I know their stories, but it's not the same me standing up and saying, you know, such and such. When, when the, the person herself or himself can stand up and say, you know, tell their own story. It's so empowering and it's so much better than having me all the time like a parrot repeating stories from here and there. What are the specific challenges about being in New Hampshire for Hispanics? Uh, you're saying it's kind of less friendly than maybe some other places in the in the country. Yeah, it is, and uh, it's hard to to navigate the systems. Uh, they we have terrible transportation, mass transportation, so you need a car. Um, it's hard to find a job, uh, a professional job. Even you know whatever you were in your in your country, you're a nobody here. A few months ago, I went to the Department of Labor to interpret a, a workers' comp hearing. There was a 70-year-old Dominican that was injured at the work selling auto parts, and they always ask, "How far did you go in school?" This man had a PhD in environmental studies, and he was a, a, an environmental engineer, and he ran the department in in Dominican Republic, and then in Germany, he worked for two years doing the same. And here, he's just selling auto parts. And, and he worked before that; he worked in a little factory, just soldering stuff, you know. Wow, and, and, yeah. and that's indicative of the the lack of opportunities that people have because there's this this idea that that we're uneducated, that we're peasants, so everybody will give you a job to clean toilets. 
you know, or to take care of all people in their homes because we, we are the second oldest state in the country. But, but nobody will give you a chance to, to exercise your profession, to, to be who you are. I know guys that are, you know, they're engineers back in the country here, they're nobody. And they tell me, I am, you know, I am a, a, a math has no language. Yes, I have, a, I have an accent, but math has no language. Well, you're connected also to Massachusetts kind of uh, activists. and. I and work for a mass-based a mass agency, Yeah. Uh, but I work in New Hampshire and I live in New Hampshire. I remember this about uh, being in Boston where my wife was working in hospitals. It, it felt like an unusually high number of the people pushing brooms at night were doctors in their home country. That's right, um, yes. And just trying to do whatever they could to like make that transition and be able to practice uh practice their profession i mean there's so much like the debris the the waste of human potential that's right uh that comes from that particular part of the system is so crazy and it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy we're like these people aren't adding to our economy it's like well fucking let them that's that's right <laughs> get let, out of the way let them get out of the way that's right but the, the so they you know and they they have beautiful creative ways to let you know that i had a dominican friend that was she was the head of the ear, nose, and throat department in her hospital in, in Santo Domingo. Here, they would tell her, oh, you're overqualified, and they wouldn't give her a chance, you know? I had a friend, that Puerto Rican, that had a PhD in education from Harvard. He spent over a year here trying to get a, a, a job in a school district, and they would not even hire him as a substitute teacher. Wow. So finally he got sick of it and said, how was that? And he moved to Massachusetts, and within three weeks or so, he was superintendent of a school district there. But here, people do not give you the chance. How do you change that? Well, it's education, and it's going to take a long time, and especially in Manchester. Manchester is very particular because Manchester, even though it's the biggest city, they have a village mentality, and everybody knows everybody. All the families... You know, so, oh, yeah, your father was my principal, and my, my, I lived across the street from your cousin, and the guy that picked the garbage on the street was your neighbor. I mean, so every, they all have some roots and some connection with each other. And if you're out of that, those connections, forget it. And if you have an accent or you are a different color, forget it. They don't even like people from Massachusetts here. <laughs> I won't tell you what they call you. <laughs> uh, I think I've heard some of those things. I was I was only a uh, a, a traveler through the world of the mass hole, but um, <laughs> but I, I understand now. Uh, there there are some sorts of prejudice that are fine. <laughs> That's right. Well, they call them Massachusetts. So that idea that you know the the kind of natural challenges that immigrants have to coming to the states and being taken seriously and and being given opportunities are kind of doubled because of this small, the small village nature. Yeah, but also you know immigrants are entrepreneurs. We have so many little restaurants and little agencies and all. They they find a way to they make cleaning companies. They make you know your average American doesn't have that entrepreneurial spirit. You know, they're hustlers, survivors, 50 million barber shops. I don't know who, who got, you know, we have everything, bodegas in every corner. Let's talk about the politics, I guess. You, uh, you and I were just talking about the Trump rally. Um, that's, I guess, they're gearing up for today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if there's one place where a, a white journalist and 
Hispanic activists can really come together. It's in our sense of fear, like physical oh, yeah. fear at, at being too close to uh, a Trump event. Yes. Um, we were there, uh, Shane and I were there in 2016 when he had his first pre-primary rally. And it was uh, it was like blood sport. I mean, the way that he was talking about the press. Yeah, and, and look at the, the way he talks about immigrants. And, and I'm known all over the state as an immigrant advocate. So forget it. I'm not going to go anywhere near that place. Um, how do you feel that the mood, has the mood shifted in, in that way? I mean, we talk about the sort of old standing uh, difficulties that an immigrant population might have. Do you feel like this, this uh, you know, in, incredible rhetoric and this kind of violent language that's coming out of the White House the last three years, has it, has it made a material difference in people's lives here? Yes, definitely. Definitely. Uh, you know, I always say we cannot blame Trump for racism because, you know, Racism was there before, but he made it acceptable. So people that before were racist and they did not find a way to express it because it was not kosher to express your... Now they're emboldened, empowered, and happy to throw it in your face. You know, so when he talked about draining the swamp, yeah, we are swimming in swamp because that was, that's what he drained, you know, all the bad that the people had inside their spirit. That's what they had, and, and it is scary. And every time you talk about diversity, people react viscerally, badly, like like you know, like you're taking something away from them. I am. My picture appeared in a, in a blog of a of a white supremacist, just as an anti-white person. So you know, and then combine that with the fact that everybody in their neighbor has a gun and they love parading their big AR whatever 15th or whatever it is they love parading that in the Dunkin Donuts in a Walmart or whatever so I I don't feel good it's not going to stop me uh, the other day somebody sent an email to my website I have a program that promotes positive immigrant integration Nothing, I mean, nothing more kosher than that. It has nothing to do with politics, with advocacy, with anything, you know? And he said, um, I'm going to crush you and your organization. What you're doing is wrong. America is for whatever. You know, one day I was speaking Spanish to my husband in a bar. We were sitting in a bar that we go quite often, just a family place. And, and, we usually, I speak to him, in, in we start in English, but I switch into Spanish in the middle of the conversation, and if we converse like that, he talks in English and I talk in Spanish. And we don't even notice how we're doing it. When we were leaving, the, the place, the people that were on the other side of the bar, two men, came after me and told me, and I'm not going to tell you the, the C word, you effing C, you're in America, speak English. Jesus. Man, I mean, that is rough. I'm and, sorry to and hear And I that. was talking to my husband, you know, just, we were, in fact, we were discussing my son. It, it, so I wasn't even paying attention to anyone, because I understand if you're making fun of people, or you know, and, and I always, when I hear people, you know, talking to other people in another language, I always tell me, you know, that's so disrespectful. Don't do that. So I was, you know, and... 
but that's a very small case, you know, percentage of. That's right. <laughs> mostly, yeah. they're not weaponizing their use of, of the language. They're of just course. speaking Spanish. Cause yeah, because I'm, I'm more comfortable in my own language. So what business is it? But they wow. chase us all the way to our car. I told my husband, just, I grabbed his and I said, don't even, just shut up and get in the car and let's get the hell out of here. You know, so that would not have happened before Trump. Right, that he sort of un unleashes. I mean, it's, it's you know, without belaboring it too much, and, and uh, I think he gets too much credit sometimes for, That's right. for hatred. No, but it was there. <laughs> it was there. He, should, he, didn't, he didn't invent that. But, um, but it is a man who comes down an escalator and calls Mexican rapists, you know, just to start a campaign is, is going to end up with you getting chased down to your car in a, in a parking lot and, and, and hopefully no more than that. Yeah, you know, I'm not, it, it is just upsetting, but at least I have the guts to put my name behind what I say. You know, I'm not the one sending anonymous emails insulting people you know people know who i am what i stand for i'm not doing anything illegal i do everything by the book and my name is behind what i what i feel which is not something that you can say that's right all the time with i assume these guys didn't hand you a business card no and that guy the, the the people that sent me a stupid email Telling me that they're gonna crush me, they didn't. They put some eggs, some egg salad, or some stupid, you know. Yeah. They they created a stupid email. So it, you know, so these are the the things that that bother me, and uh, but I'm gonna keep fighting. You know, there's no, I have nothing to be ashamed of, and, and but it's hard because people that has driven people further into into the hall, really. Even people that, have, that technically should have nothing to fear about, they they don't feel comfortable, and, and, and you don't know. You never know. Now with shootings all over the place, too, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, how, do, how does that express itself in, in the lives of, uh, of the community here? Just less less going out or yeah yeah and and less before they really barely had any contact with the americans which is bad too i always tell them you know just go out you're part of the community i'm married to an american and you know we've been married for 36 years so it's not anything they're not weirdos you know and we're in their country the least we can do is reach out to them and, and see but if nobody gives you the chance either how are you gonna do it Right, so just even even the idea of going down to Elm Street and having a coffee, or you know, or like yeah, no, they all go in the groups wherever they feel comfortable, you know, and they go to a Mexican restaurant where they are all congregated, or to a Dominican restaurant or whatever. But they're not gonna go. You very seldom, unless and I'm, I'm talking about the working class. You know, we have the professional side, and they are too happy to be whatever. But those are the few. Right, but the majority are working class people, and there's there's neighborhoods. I mean, this is a pretty right. segregated town. Yes, and um, they stay in their own place, and they just go whatever they feel comfortable with their own people, and, and, and that's it. You have a pin on now that says I'm pro-immigrant and I vote. Um, I assume that it's not just about going out to Elm Street and having a beer uh, amongst the 
uh, native New Hampshireites, but it's also getting involved in the electoral politics, which is a great birthright mm-hmm. uh, of New Hampshire. Yeah. How how are you talking to them about the primary and and what they should, you know, what they should be doing in relation to it? And I'm wearing it today because after here I'm gonna go to the barbershops and the bodegas and tell people, hey, you know, tomorrow you're gonna be voting. I'm gonna be, you know, where you're gonna vote and blah blah blah. Yeah, I'm all about. Like I said, making people take a stand for what they value. So I don't tell them vote for this or vote for that. I don't do really party politics because because I just I I'm not about that. I I don't want to manipulate people. And you know they ask me all the time who should I vote for, and I said no. Take the time to read. You know what what's important to you. And many times if they don't. You know, they don't know, they usually don't even know the candidates unless they, you know, they're the big, you know, like Obamas or something. Say, so, okay, what's important to you? This, this is, okay, this one stands for this, this one stands for this. You pick. Yeah. So I go and I tell them, you know, go vote. And, and it's important to 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 voice your opinion. If you if you are not active politically, then you, you have no right to complain. If you did not put your voice there... Uh, how do you expect to be listened to? And how you expect your issues to, to be out there? What What is important to you? But it's hard, you know. Then in the primaries, I really don't think too many people are going to vote because they, they don't understand the point of having a primary. And it's not important. They go vote for a president, maybe. It's hard enough to get them to go vote for the mayor. And I say, you know, local elections matter even more than presidential elections. Yeah, because they, de- you know, with them they determine how much money we're gonna get for the school district, how many cops we're gonna have in the street, you know, everything. So, vote for the getting base. It's really hard to get people engaged. I've been obsessed with this uh, this hip hop video, this rap song from uh, Yellow Pain that has been kind of making the rounds the past couple of days. But it's all about it's just, the song is called "My Vote Doesn't Count," and but it's all about like how actually. You know, if you wanted to really get the most out of Obama, you should have gone back and voted in 2010 for all the Congress people and like you know. That's right. That Everybody else. The presidential politics is like some sort of distraction almost from the real work and the you know the people who are really going to be able to increase minimum wage or you know those those issues that might really matter to you. That's right, and the, the votes on count is one of those lies that becomes a, a reality in people's head. You know, here our mayor won by sixty some votes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You know. That's a big difference. That's that's a that's a couple barbershops worth of people. That's right. That's right. So every every vote count, and we also come from places where our elections are so rigged out. Pro- you know, our processes are so messed up, so corrupted, so that the people have no faith in the systems. They have no faith in the police. They have no faith in government, and and with reason. So it's so, a it's a natural default for them to just be like, "I'm staying out of this. I'm just yeah, I'm just here yeah, to work." Yeah, they're like, all a bunch of thieves anyway. So what am I gonna do? You know, and, and, and it's hard to to get that. Like I also do a lot of work with the police. Uh, to, I was a police commissioner here for six years until I turned out, but I still do monthly meetings with them. And I go around and I tell people, you know, the cops here, yes, they're idiots in every single group. They're good people and bad people in every group. But for the most part, we have an excellent police department here in Manchester. 
and if there is an issue with an individual, we have channels to bring it up to the attention and the chief will listen to us. You know, so feel confident that they're not going to be harassing you and, and feel confident to report crime and feel confident that that we do not have you know the problems that you see on TV with the cops. Yeah. I mean, just to talk about the influence of what might seem like small office holdings. Like I think it wasn't it the chief of police in, in Nashua who was coming out strongly against, you know, sort of like proactive immigration enforcement, you know, just. Oh, we do have a lot of our, our towns, Manchester, Nashua, uh, Dover. We have a bunch of towns that have passed ordinance, even the state police, after 20 years talking to them, they pass an ordinance that they are not going to be referring people to ICE if they have not committed a crime. So they stop somebody for running a red light or something and they discover these people have no papers they are, they're just going to find them like everybody else if they have no standing warrants for a crime or something Right. and they're not going to call ICE which is great and the sheriff in Cheshire County he came out very publicly and he's a Puerto Rican man and oh my god the poor thing he got so much heat over that right now I read uh, there's somebody oh yeah somebody from oh, one of the towns in the seacoast that just put a bill for giving any city from for being a sanctuary city and blah 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 because all the they're taking a, a brave stand against yeah. uh, you know the, yeah. the least you know, powerful good for them yeah and they said oh why do that you know people first people need to drive so we're trying to get driver's licenses for the undocumented and we passed the house but we didn't have enough votes in the senate to do it because. Even, you know, our friends, the, 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 the Democratic senators, they did not want to do it because in New Hampshire you burn your bridges if you do anything. So, you know, and I understand their point of view too, but then it's frustrating because they're always between a rock and a hard place. You right. know, if they take too much a stand, that's going to cost them because the anti-immigrant voices are so loud here. And they... I mean, it's such a it's a strange thing to me, too, which is one of the kind of lunacies of, of this moment is that if New Hampshire really is, and I, I believe in certain deep ways that it really does believe what it says when it says live free or die. That's right. The open invitation for one of the most opaque federal agencies to have ever operated and kicked down doors and dragged fathers away from their children in the middle of the night, an open invitation for them to come into this state and and just operate, you know, freely, strikes me as a very anti-New Hampshire gig, you know. I, I agree. And, you know, and also in New Hampshire, it's special because even our ICE officers, they are pretty decent, you know. They have a nasty job. But, like I tell the, the extreme activists, you know, the enemy is not the ICE. Here, for the most part, they're not, you know, it's not like we see on TV that they're dragging people out in the middle of the night and... You know, they have the job to do, uh, but they don't violate people's rights. They were the detention center here in Dover is a model of a detention center. They have all kinds of programs. It's clean. It's nice. I mean, nothing that compares even to Massachusetts. Hmm. This is like a country club. Of course, they're still in jail and they're still deportable. And all that. I said the enemy is not them. They're doing their job. The enemy is the laws. 
We need to go after the people that have the power to change the laws because if we don't change the laws, we can demonize ICE and everybody as much as we can, but nothing is going to change. I'm part of a big interfaith uh, immigrant solidarity network, and we have had small meetings with every single candidate. We invited everybody, uh, and uh, except uh, Biden hasn't met with us. Okay. He's, uh, he he's figures he's got that yeah. locked up. And, and Amy didn't meet with us either. Uh, one Bill Weld, Weld, Weld yeah, something? William he, Weld. The... He met and he met with us from the other side, of course. Yeah, he's, no. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are not going to push him over the finish line yeah. to get him but, to defeat Trump. That's true. But you know, we we this the beauty of these gatherings, and this is where New Hampshire is so special. It's like 25, 30 people of us. And we invite the candidates to listen to us. They don't come to give us their spiel. So we ask the questions that are important, and we tell them stories, and they come to listen to us. So I'm usually the one in charge of talking about immigration, and we bring a couple immigrants. But again, they don't feel comfortable talking. One thing that really I'm very disappointed with the Democratic Party is that other than when we ask a question, or one of the bird doggers anywhere else, ask a question on immigrants. They do not bring it up. Hmm. And that really annoys the daylight out of me. So it's like, you know, it's not nice because it's going to cost them. But at what point do you, if you're really serious about it, at what point does winning anything or keeping your image intact um, is more important than your own morals and your vision and who you are? And this is a criticism I have of every single official here. Our senators are beautiful people, and their hearts are always with us, but their votes are not with us. Hmm. So I'm tired of being taken for granted. I'm tired of having this friend-friend relationship. You know, oh, yeah, I hear you, I hear you, my heart's with you, and then they go vote, you know, the exact opposite of what we just... So I'm really part of this, this group. We are already sick of it, and we are already figuring out how we're going to hold their feet to the fire. They, in a way, is also, one more time, between a rock and a hard place, because who else are we going to vote for? Yeah, the other side has taken themselves out of the uh, consideration. That's right. But, you know, we are going to keep, uh, we, and we're going to escalate and start being more public about it. Yeah. Well, I, I have a feeling like uh, all of our African-American listeners are saying, yep, I, that sounds familiar. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Know, yeah. To be the Hispanic population has uh, has you know kind of uh, graduated to the level where that, they can be right. as uh, taken for granted as the black vote. Uh, that's right. And you, it's true. You won't hear it. Um, you won't hear people just sort of voluntarily saying, "This is what I believe about sanctuary cities." That's you right. You know. That's right. Um, because why? You know, that would almost feel like an unforced error to them to bring up a, a controversial moral stand. That's right. Um, you you have an interesting stand among you know the sort of political uh, and activist community here that you don't uh, endorse candidates, yeah. Um, which is in a way one of the sources of power for people from this small state who have a you know interest that they're trying to represent is that you your endorsement could mean a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you give up that power? I'm not giving up. I hold my power because if I give it up, then the rest of the campaigns are not going to take me seriously. If I, so, and, and I'm not going to be working for nobody. 
They don't work for me ultimately. They don't do anything for us. Win or lose, you know, Wednesday after the, the election day, we go back to anonymity for the next four years. They bring us back to life every four years. We're the most important people on earth. You know, so no. So you're not buying this. No, I don't buy this bullshit. You know, nobody's going to nobody's going to manipulate me. And uh, and it is true. I there's no way I would have been able to get you to come down on the show if you had to be working the phone banks the day before the primary for a particular candidate, right? I mean, it's a yeah. it's a lot of work that these people who get involved as surrogates and kind of you know. It is a lot of work, and also you know, it's, it's annoying too from from our point of view, the locals that all the campaigns, they bring all their pay staff here, and then they use all the locals as volunteers to, to connect all the paid staffers that have no clue where to go. You know, so we are supposed to do the work for volunteers, and then you pay your own people to come here. No. Fair enough. No. What do you get out of, out of being kind of unaligned then? Then you can hold these town halls with any of the candidates... Uh, yeah, and at the same time, I, I get the freedom to do what I want. You know, and, and if I tell people um, for X, Y, or Z, they a lot of people are going to vote for them because, oh, Eva said that. So I'm taking power away from my community, too. And I don't want that. I want people to really vote for who represents their best interest, even though... They don't take the time. We found out in the past election, we did a lot of door knocking, nonpartisan, go out to vote in people of color and low propensity workers and immigrants and low, low propensity voters in immigrants and refugees. And a bunch of them voted for Trump against their own interest. And I said, never again am I doing <laughs> this. You know, and it's interesting because they, a lot of them, their reasoning was um, the abortion. And I said, well, you know, this is just blah, blah, blah from him. How many abortions do you think any of his girlfriends or mistresses or whoever have ever had? You know? There's and, a high propensity user. And you can be yeah. pro-life. And, and it's not that these people are pro-life because they're more pro-fetus than anything. Because, you know, once a fetus is born, that's it. They want to cut all the social programs and the nets and everything. It's pro-fetus. So you can be pro-fetus and, uh, and, and still vote for everything else. You can still be who you are and, and have your own, your own values. Uh, and vote for somebody that's going to... Do everything else for you. You're shooting yourself in the foot only because of that little issue there. Yeah. That is really not affecting you one way or the other. So you got to be careful uh, what you activate out there in the community. But you're going out today. You're going to go do some more of that. How many yeah, Trump but voters? I'm just going to do go out to vote. <laughs> That's it. I'm going to do go out to vote. But you know, and then after after this one, then I'll figure out. Like the other day, I saw in, in, in Elm Street. I saw on TV a bunch of Vietnamese with. Vietnamese for Trump. And I said, oh, Lord, what happened to you? You know, I know they're Republican anyways, but, you know, there's Republicans and they're good people. Trump is not your traditional Republican. He does not represent, and so there's nothing against the Republican Party per se. Trump as a human being is a poor excuse. I, I would not even call him an animal. He is he himself as a person does not represent 
the the values of any of human beings. It's it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, he represents, I think, a, a fair a fair kernel of like whatever bile duct a human might have, like some That's anger right. issues, worst. like yeah. you know, just like naked ambition. There's there's little things that he can sort of summon out like a magnet from within each of us, and it, I imagine that must be what's driving you know the Vietnamese for Trump or. Uh, this, uh, yeah. Your, yeah, or that they're afraid of communism, and he's instilled all this socialist thing so much that that people react just like the Cubans in Miami, you know, that they they think you know that socialism eventually leads to communism. I don't, I, I don't understand, I don't understand that. But you know, I've been thinking a lot, and and, and since the summer, I've been talking about genocide. And in, in fact, in a rally in, in the summer, I told them, you know, read the 10 steps of genocide, and we're already in step number seven. Hmm. And yesterday I was in an event called Vote Common Good, which is an evangelical group that is touring the all 50 states to talk uh, to other evangelicals and have them vote for anybody but Trump. Hmm. And... They were talk. They were drawing the parallels between Nazi Germany and how it all started, and now and the white supremacist agenda, nationalist agenda, and it's eerie. Yeah, it's it, eerie. And if we do not, op- you know, open up your our eyes and react to it, I don't know what we're, we're heading. That's why this is a big year. You know, it's not it's not written in stone. It it doesn't mean uh, just because it started doesn't mean it's going to finish. But uh, boy, they sure have uh, they've they've started to 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 plow the soil, I guess, uh, for uh, for some very dark things. Yeah, so. and they manipulate people, and they don't even know good people, and they are allow themselves to be manipulated. I think we're going to see some of that downtown today. No, you and I are not going to see it. We're gonna, uh, no. I'm gonna. I'm gonna watch that on my phone from a safe distance. Yeah, I'm so. not. I'm not gonna go anywhere near. I, my son works right at the hotel downtown. I told him, "Don't breathe too deep today, please." <laughs> Something in the air. <laughs> yeah, don't Something breathe in the water. too deep. Stay away from downtown. All right. Well, good luck at the barbershops. shops. Uh, Thank you for the work that you're doing, and I hope uh, if if this primary continues that um, you get more and more a, a, a share of the the voice. Thank you. The trip from Roads and Kingdoms is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg. Alexa Van Sickle is our producer. Theme music by Danny Automator. Episode illustration by Daisy D. Sound mastering and composing by Ricardo Gutierrez. Show artwork by Adele Rodriguez. Executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. Next week, it is our last from up here. And it's a good one with an actual candidate for president who was on the New Hampshire ballot. No, not Bernie and not Liz. Not at all. It is Zoltan Istvan of the Transhumanist Party. And I'm going to leave that tease right there because transhumanism is all the tease that I need.